The survivors arrived at the airport to find that many of the would-be passengers from the time of the attack were still inside, trapped in their perpetual layover in the form of zombies. They could see them wandering around the entry through the glass doors, and they could hear them throughout the terminal. The original survivors broke into two teams of five people each, and the rest of the survivors they had called to the BWP gathered behind them. Logically, they could fight, but remember this is from a game, so we had to make it manageable. Speaking of games, we used a miniature system for this playthrough. Outbreak Undead has four modes of combat. There was the mode that came with the original second edition, which we used in episodes 1 through 6. Then we used Survivalist, the most complex system for episodes 7 through 12. For episodes 13 through 17, we used Arcade Mode, the simplest system, for large combats such as the ones involving the zombie hordes, and Weekend Warrior, the mid-range complexity system, for the smaller combats such as the radio station battle. For this final, climactic battle, we decided to use the miniatures game Project Z, and we transferred the stats of the characters over to it. I know this is breaking away from Outbreak Undead after using it for the whole campaign, but we really wanted to try this system, and figured this was the perfect place for it. Back to the story. The main survivors broke into two groups, one with Jamie, Tommy, Naseba, Derek, and Chloe, and one with Jessica, Keiko, Seth, Trish, and Karen. They broke into the airport. There were just a few scattered zombies in the lobby, and more crowded further in around the checkout area. The left group had four in the front, and one is reserved in the back, and the right group had one in the center, and the other four around. Everyone else came in behind them, and sealed the doors while the fighting survivors pushed forward. The left group pushed ahead, following Jamie and Chloe with their katanas leading the way, and Tommy, Naseba, and Derek shooting down the others. The right group was slower, with only Jessica using a melee weapon and the others firing haphazardly. The ones further in moved at them, and the survivors took a defensive posture. Jamie let Chloe engage while she went around the pillars to flank the zombies. Jessica, meanwhile, was getting overwhelmed on the right, while Keiko, Trish, and Seth continued to flounder. Are you high again? Jessica shouted at Seth. No! Maybe. Just a little. Hey, this stuff saved our asses, so don't knock it. On the left, a large bunch moved on Chloe, who was looking away, and Jamie pounced on them from behind. They turned their attention on her, and a crowd moved in on Jessica. Tommy and Naseba moved in on their flank, and Karen moved up to Seth, helping him aim. And together, they shot down the remaining monsters in the lobby. They all moved forward into the corridor. About that time, Ken and his wounded made it inside, and they followed the bodies to catch up with the others. Up ahead, they found that the line for the TSA looked the same as it always had, just filled with zombies instead of people. But this was a line they couldn't wait in, so Jamie and Jessica got to hacking away. It was a narrow choke point so the others were unable to provide much support fire. Jamie managed to slay her zombie, but Jessica had some trouble. Chloe was about to slip by Jamie and engage one on the far side. Jessica was jumped on by her zombie, who clawed at her eyes. Jamie's sword was stuck inside one in front of her, so she couldn't move to her aid. Naseba slipped in and shot the zombie in the head, and the other gun wielders slipped in and shot the others down. They now moved on to the dreaded checkpoint. The first line was caught behind a divider rope meant to control the line. Those with the guns shot them down. Then Jessica led the way in one direction, and Jamie led the way in the other. Jessica, shaken up by the last attack, missed her swing, and the zombie got through, clawing away at her skin. Injured, she fell back behind the married couple, who shot down the zombie. Go back with the injured, Tommy told her. No, I'm fine, Jessica said. I'm just going to use my bow now, and she switched weapons. The other side, meanwhile, moved in on a small crowd. Jamie chomped down hers, but the other one grabbed Chloe's arm. It pushed in on her, prepared to chomp down, but Seth and Derek shot it down from the side. The others managed to blast away the ones in front of them. 
The group now headed for the security point, beyond which was the crowd of checked-in zombies. The survivors broke into three lines to go through. Trish, Keiko, Karen, and Jessica on the right, Tommy and Nasiba in the middle, and Jamie, Chloe, Seth, and Derek on the left. The rest of the survivors were herding in behind them, and then the TSA personnel appeared around their flank, going after the NPCs. Oh no! Someone might actually care about them! But they were not enough for the horde that had taken them by surprise. The ones at the front had already begun to cross and were locked in combat. They were trapped, sandwiched between the living dead. Jamie and Chloe fought their way forward, trying to finish off the ones who were in front of them as quickly as possible. Tommy and Nasiba were gunning them down from the center, and Trish, Karen, and Keiko were having their usual bad luck on the right flank. The survivors in the back opened fire on the surprise horde, but these uniformed zombies somehow had the ability to amble quickly, and they got through to Mason and one other survivor, clawing through their defenses and biting them on the shoulders. Carrie fired desperately from the front, and Karen and Esther fired from the sides while the other two survivors swung wildly, reducing the number of TSA agents. Karen kept Nestor from going too close to the front. Everyone was going to need him if they had any hope of taking off in one of these planes. Somewhere in the cacophony of noise, Jamie heard the cry of her cats. The survivors in the rear had been carrying their carriers. Now they had fallen to the ground, and the zombies were clawing at them. Don't you touch my babies! She shouted, and she rushed toward the rear, her sword in hand, leaving Chloe and Derek to continue holding down the left flank. Seth went with her to shut down the attack on their rear. Jessica and Keiko also fired at them since they seemed like the greater danger now. Firing their bullets and arrows, they thinned out the herd. They took another loss as Jamie rushed the crowd. She jumped into the middle, defending her pets, swinging like a wild woman protecting her children. Back at the checkpoint, Trish and Karen were starting to improve on their shooting skills while Tommy and Nasiba shot down theirs in droves. Chloe became overconfident and pressed forward, losing track of how many zombies were crowding in around her. Get back here! Derek shouted as he continued to shoot them down. He ran out of bullets and had to reload. In that span of time, more of the monsters crowded in around Chloe, trapping her. A couple of them grabbed her, and they pulled her down, devouring her body. With their rear cleared, the survivors pressed forward. On the left side, the zombies were breaking through the checkpoint, moving in on Derek. Nasiba went to help, and together they gunned them down. The survivors regrouped, the rear guard taking the cat carriers again. The wounded joined the front line now, and they moved forward. The terminal was covered with the walking dead, and there was no way to contain them. This was going to be their greatest challenge yet. They pressed forward, shooting and slicing down what they could along the way. Then they heard double doors fly open behind them. They turned to see a group of half-turn approaching them from the rear, guns drawn. Baring their teeth in evil smiles, they leveled their barrels on the survivors. One of them fired and hit Trish, who fell back wounded. Karen turned to them and fired, taking down one of the half-turned. But another shot her right in the head. Keiko and Jessica shot down two of them in retaliation, but they were far from finished. They rushed the survivors, and Trish shot one down. Her victory was short-lived as the zombie jumped her from behind, mortally wounding her with his teeth as he continued on at Jessica. With nothing they could do for Trish, Jessica and Keiko retreated, getting out of the crossfire of the dead and half-dead. The combined fire of the survivors took down one of the half-turned, then the other. Still, however, the walking dead problem was far from over. They pressed forward. Tommy, Nasiba, and Jessica shot down those coming around one side, while Derek and Karen fought them off on the other. Ken saw that Jamie got in trouble at the center, surrounded the same way Chloe had been before she was killed. So he came down and cleared some of them off. With the help of Nestor and Carrie, Derek cleared a path to the door, and they all hurried toward it. There, the leaders created a perimeter while the other survivors rushed out onto the tarmac and boarded the plane. The zombies crowded in on their wall, and they shot them down as more survivors rushed the plane. Next, Ken, Carrie, and Nestor got out while the rest held firm. Then there was Keiko, Seth, and Derek. It was down to Jessica and the original three, 
or almost the originals. Rest in peace, Rachel. The horde crowded in around them. They backed up to the wall. Jessica opened the door and they hurried out. The survivors rushed to the plane. There were just a couple zombie pilots and stewards to dispatch, and the survivors had control. It was time for Nestor to take over. He recognized the controls from Flight Simulator, but one thing he hadn't counted on. He had used a mouse and keyboard to interact with it. Now he had to remember which device on the control panel did what. Keiko jumped into the co-pilot seat. What do you need me to do? She asked. Press the L key, Nestor said. Keiko looked at him confused, and Nestor quickly realized his mistake. I mean, that. He pointed at a switch and she flipped it. He gave more instructions, all by sight, without knowing what they were called, and she nervously followed them. We're all going to die, Seth said. Despite not knowing the right words, Nestor got the plane pulled back from the gate and taxied toward the runway. Just as he was getting comfortable with the controls, they saw the gate door burst open, and a flood of the undead poured onto the tarmac coming straight for them. Among them were their fallen friends, Karen, Chloe, Trish, some of the NPCs, among others. Would that be enough to keep us from taking off? Seth asked. They could clog up the tires, Nestor replied. Okay, what's next? Keiko asked. Okay, next we call the tower for clearance. Fuck the tower! Seth said. Next step, come on, Keiko insisted. Look! shouted Nasiba from the back. Out the window, they could see streaks in the sky coming their way. The missiles. They were out of time. We're taking off, Nestor said. We're not on the runway, Keiko said. Nestor nodded. He hoped there was enough pavement on the taxiway to let them take off. Everyone strap yourselves in, he shouted. And he put power to the engines. The jet engines roared, and the plane pushed forward. Outside, they saw the streaks of the missiles arc down. Ahead of them, they saw zombies clump together. Nestor pushed the engine controls to full power. They all felt the plane bump slightly as they ran over a couple of the walkers. A mass that had gathered ahead of them would be enough to stop them. He grabbed the steering column and told Keiko to do the same. They were in a game of deadly chicken that had to work. In the back, everyone's hands shook as they put on their safety belts, looking out the windows at the missiles coming down on their city. Ahead, the zombie clump came close. Now, Nestor shouted, and he pulled back on the controls. Keiko did the same. Low on power, but with just enough to take off, they lifted off the ground. The player drifted up lightly, as though threatening to fall again. But the power built up, and they lifted into the sky. As they did, they turned to get away from the missiles as quickly as they could. The ones in the back watched their city far below. They saw the streaks of the missiles as they dropped faster and faster. Then, one by one, they exploded, enveloping the buildings, streets, and all that makes a city. Los Angeles was gone. Then the shockwaves hit them. Hang on, Nestor shouted as he and Keiko grasped hard to the steering column. The plane weaved, dropped, dipped, one wing then the other. They lost latitude, then regained some. It wasn't enough to clear the mountains, which they saw coming. Nestor got a thought. He pushed down. What are you doing? Keiko asked furiously. Trust me, he said. Pull back on my signal. Keiko let go and waited. The hills were coming closer. Then, pull, he shouted. She did, and with the added power Nestor had gained, they lifted up over the mountains, then continued to climb, leaving the explosion behind them. They flew up over the clouds where the ground could not be seen. All the pain, the suffering, the apocalypse they had just survived. It was all a different world now. They looked around at one another. These were the lucky few who had made it. Up in the cockpit, Nestor and Keiko kept radio silence. They didn't want to alert anyone to their presence. If the government had wanted to quarantine this place, they wouldn't like to see there were escapees. Neither of them knew where they were going exactly, but they figured they'd just find somewhere to land unannounced. For a quarter of an hour or so, 
They flew northeastward, watching the clouds pass by beneath them. Then Nestor noticed a problem. The fuel pressure was dropping quicker than it should have. The plane had not been full when they took off in the first place, and then it had apparently been damaged by the shockwaves during the ascent. They would not get very far on what they had left. However, they had been in the air long enough to have gotten over Nevada, so he began searching for somewhere to land. There wasn't much. They were over Death Valley, just miles of desert. Las Vegas was going to be too far for them to reach. It didn't matter. They were going to have to settle down. Keiko called to the back, telling everyone to strap in again. We've got good news and bad news, she told them. The good news is we've cleared the area affected by the Korean and American missiles. The bad news is our fuel won't get us to Vegas. We're going to have to set down in the desert. Not to worry, though. Our pilot can still land this safely. Once the intercom was off, she said, You can land this safely, can't you? Nestor shrugged and said, They didn't have that in flight simulator. But if it's flat desert, sure, why not? Keiko eyed him nervously and made sure to strap herself in tight. The plane descended into the clouds like a sinking boat. Then beneath them, in every direction, all they could see was brown desert. No civilization, no houses, no people. This was a mixed curse and blessing. On the plus note, there were long stretches of flat land. This might be possible. The tricky part was going to be getting somewhere safe afterward. Nestor lowered down steadily. He didn't want to run out of power while they were still high in the air. He wasn't sure he could glide them to a safe spot. About halfway to the ground, he began to feel the fuel weakening as he lost an engine. The next one stopped at 5,000 feet. Off on the distant horizon, Keiko spotted some buildings. Some form of civilization. It couldn't be Vegas. It was too small. But it was somewhere they could aim for when they were on the ground. The buildings disappeared from view as they got low. And with less than 500 feet left, Nestor lost his last engine. He was gliding into the final part. He had found a region that was as flat as he was ever going to get, and he aimed for it as a runway. Getting closer, he saw it wasn't as flat as he had hoped. A lot of scrub grass and thorny bushes dotted the ground that would give trouble to their tires. But now he was committed. The plane lowered down. 300 feet. 200 feet. 100 feet. The ground came up below them now like a rising fist to meet them. Nestor and Keiko pulled back on the stick to keep the nose up. The back wheels thudded against the ground, and the front of the plane fell forward. The whole thing seemed to bounce and came down harder on the ground. It then began sliding across the ground, the sand dragging across its tires, slowing it faster than it was prepared to do, and the plane jolted, flinging the passengers into their seatbelts. Nestor reached for the braking system and began flipping switches. As he did, the wheels hit the scrub brush and other bumps, knocking the plane off balance. The front wheel came down on the sand and dug in, sending the nose careening forward, snapping the front landing gear. The cockpit smashed against the ground, and the rest of the landing gear followed. The whole plane skidded across the sand. One of the engines exploded, smashing one side of the fuselage. Everyone was stuck as the smoke and flames flew around them. The roaring and smashing noise were deafening. Pieces of the plane rattled off as they jolted one way, then another, always skidding forward, bit by bit. Pieces of the plane rattled off as they jolted one way, then another, always skidding forward. Bit by bit, the plane slowed, until at last they were at a stop. The passengers threw off their safety belts and got up. One of the passengers, a person who had answered Jamie's radio call for survivors in the end, had been burned by the flames and died. The rest hurried away from the growing fire. Jamie heard the crying of her cats and pulled them out with the help of Tommy and Naseba. Jessica got to the cockpit and threw open the door. The entire chamber was smashed. Keiko lifted her head from the dashboard. Her face was badly beaten, cut, and bruised. 
and she could barely move, but she was alive. Nestor, however, had smashed through the front glass. The man who had flown them out of danger had died on the landing. There was no time to mourn. Jessica and Seth dragged Keiko out of her seat and pulled her out of the wreckage. As they all got out, the plane was fully engulfed in flames. Now what? Tommy asked. The group was disheartened. All they could see in every direction was desert. But Keiko lifted her wounded finger with agonized effort in the direction she had seen some buildings. That way? Seth asked. Shelter, she managed to gasp. Okay then, Jamie said, not wasting any time. Shelter it is. The crowd began to walk, trying to keep to the same direction. Jessica watched behind them to make sure their footprints remained as much in a straight line as possible. The going was slow. Not only did Keiko have to be carried, but the majority of survivors were staggering after the ordeal they had just been through. After long hours of heat and exhaustion, the sun was waning toward the horizon, but they could at last see the buildings. As they continued forward, they could make out smaller structures and a fence. The sun was going down faster and faster, but they were getting closer and closer, and would reach there just after dark. As the sun set, they could see where the road ran up to a gate. A checkpoint sat in front, and guard towers stood at each corner of the fencing. "'What is this, a prison?' Seth asked. No sooner had the words escaped his mouth when they were suddenly surrounded by soldiers with raised weapons. "'Freeze!' their commander shouted. They seemed to have come from hiding locations that the group had passed. This was no common prison. They raised their hands, uncertain what would happen next. They had just survived a bombing by the military, and now that military had them at their mercy. Would they kill them as part of the quarantine? Did they even know where they had come from? Then Tommy noticed some writing on one of the walls. Area 51, it read. How ironic, Tommy muttered. As the soldiers led them inside the compound, no one knew what fate awaited them. Would the military be their rescuers, or would they be their doom? Or was there something worse awaiting them behind these gates and walls? They were soon to find out, but that is another story. This concludes Outbreak Undead on RPG Storytime. We hope you enjoyed it. The game Outbreak Undead is available from Hunter's Entertainment. Pick up your copy and see if your survival strategy will work. Next episode, we will be starting a campaign of Dungeons & Dragons, so come join us for that. In the meantime, thank you for listening, and happy gaming, everybody!